2: Hi, everyone. and Welcome to another episode of Chicana Code Switchers. This week we have, her name is Denise Fernandez and
0: Patty will do the uh, introduction. Welcome, Denise. Her pronouns are she, her, and our guest position is a student services specialist. Uh, Denise grew up in Winters, a small agriculture town in Northern California. She is a first-generation college student who spent several years as a student organizer working with labor unions, immigration rights organizations, and several cultural community groups. She holds a BA in Ethnic Studies from California State University, Sacramento, and after graduating, went on to work in the local community college system for various student equity projects and resource centers. She earned her master's of arts from the Mexican American and Latina Latino studies department at the University of Texas, Austin, where she studied Chicana, Chicano, Chicanx and Mexican cultural productions. She spent the past two years working as an academic advisor and student program coordinator for the School of Undergraduate Studies at the University of Texas, Austin, where she advised undeclared students exploring various majors and academic pursuits. She recently relocated back to California after living in Austin, Texas for four years. She is currently working as a student services specialist for the Center for Human Rights and International Justice at Stanford University. So welcome, Denise. For Thank you so much for joining us in this episode.
3: Yes. Hi, everybody. Hi, ladies. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to to be here and share space with you all.
0: So it's really excited to to have Denise in our episode. We met back in a few years ago, the first Mm -hmm. time at a conference um, where we were both presenting and we met through a mutual friend uh, who was also attending um, UT Austin back when they were also uh, doing their master's program. And then Denise, that was your first year in your master's program. So it's been quite a while, but we recently reconnected again through an interview. So my job was, uh, had some job postings open and Denise was thinking of coming back and applying for one of the positions. So that's how we connected again. So it's been really awesome to randomly find people sometimes and find out that they're working at that campus. So for today's episode, Uh, We just wanted to talk about, talk about what it's like for um, students, especially for those who are um, received their degrees in ethnic studies, now wanting to work on college campuses and some of the challenges and now that we're in full-time positions, both working at universities. So what has been so far your experience in undergrad all the way up to now, Um, any reflections or thoughts about what that process has been like for you?
3: Yes. Such a loaded question. <laughs> um, so let me think back to undergrad. Uh, so I graduated back in 2016 with my BA in ethnic studies. Uh, my concentration was in Chicano studies. Like Chicano studies wasn't an actual major, it was just a concentration. And I will say that ethnic studies um, like, was a pretty like medium-sized department. Um, and one of the things that I remember the most being part of the program is that, so we were under the school, I think of like social sciences, some fancy name like that, but we were basically like smushed together with like 12 other majors, right? So in that one school, in that one kind of um, building, like we were literally all in one building. I think the only one that was separate from us was government and economics, right? It's like they had their own fancy building. Um, so anyway, so that's one of the things I remember, right? It's like being an ethnic studies major already, I felt like, you know, we were kind of at the margins of education, at the margins of people's understanding of you know different majors and different careers and like one of the questions that I always got asked was well what is well one what is ethnic studies right and two what are you going to do with that major like what jobs are there like there's no ethnic studies you know positions or whatever well now there is but anyways back then it was kind of like that was still the beginning of you know just kind of finding my path in in where I was going to go after that I was very very fortunate to have really good mentorship Um, at Tax Day, um, shout out to Professor Barajas, Professor Ramirez, and Professor um, Margarita Vertavila. They were they were so um, instrumental in kind of guiding me through what a possible just career looked like, and really emphasizing the idea that majoring in ethnic studies was about for me, like passion, right? Was about conocimiento of myself, of my background, of other folks that are also you know at the margins. Um, so I really saw it as an opportunity to kind of with my education, gain a sense of myself, gain a sense of my skills, and that definitely was something that helped me out a lot. Um, Not only was I an ethics studies major, but I was a student organizer, so I worked for um, a faculty union. Over the summers, I also worked for a labor union uh, for hospitality workers, and I also, you know, volunteered with a lot of different uh, grassroots community organizations in the Sacramento area, so I would say that that was also very formative in developing my skills right like my public speaking skills my writing skills my critical thinking skills so that's one thing that i i I look back at and i'm just like dang you know like i always get kind of complimented on well you you know are like can have a good public speaking voice or you kind of have a good critical analysis and i think back i was like well yeah because i was out here like leading rallies right and like demonstrations on campus and you have to you know kind of be like this personality right this person so I think back to my activism work, and that's definitely something that cemented my professional development in networking, making connections, like knowing how to talk to people, knowing how to put in a request for something that you need build community. Um, so that's kind of what what my undergrad was like, just building that groundwork for, for what was to come, right? So um, I got accepted into UT Austin, um, and, and going out of state again, it was that mentorship, right? I, I never thought of going to school out of state, right? When I applied to college initially, I applied to UC Davis because it was close to home. All of my primos had gone to UC Davis. was so what I knew, right? It was familiar. It was something that I felt like super comfortable with. Um, I didn't get into UC Davis, but I did get into Sac State. So I was like, okay, you know, Sac State, it's still relatively close by. I had another cousin that went to Sac State. Um, and me and my cousin actually started at the same time. So that's why I ended up at Sac State, right? I wanted to be close to family. I wanted to kind of keep within that tight knit uh, community that I had. So I never thought to expand out of that because it wasn't familiar to me. Like it wasn't something that had been done before. Um, so again, through the mentorship I received, you know, I was encouraged, right? And it, it was kind of like put to me like, why don't you go out of state? Well, there's a lot of good schools outside of California. They can offer you funding. You know, they have a lot of good programs. And that's what I did. I applied to grad school. I applied at the state. Um, and through that, you know, mentorship and encouragement, that's how I did up at UT Austin, doing the um, the graduate program. And it was a good experience being there because I think it teaches you a lot about yourself, kind of going through a master's program and and really just testing your skills and testing your patience because it's, it's not easy, but it's also gratifying in a way. Um, so that's definitely where... I see a little bit of my professional development coming from on uh, the trajectory in terms of my undergrad and also my graduate program.
2: I, um, Denise, that's like a very impressive the way that you just like lined up your whole journey and I was able to follow along. Um, but what was it like for you to be in a new place far away from home? How, like what was it like to be in Texas, for example?
3: Um, It was definitely a trip. Like I got to Texas and I think I'm a a pretty adaptable person, but a lot of times I also don't give myself space to reflect and to be like, okay, I'm in a new setting. What's comfortable for me? What do I still need to work on? Um, And I remember my first week there, like I could not sleep. Like, Like I stayed up at night. I had like a little bit of insomnia and I just, I couldn't sleep. Right. And I was kind of thinking about like, well, why can't I sleep? Right. Why am I not? Relaxing. Why am I not? You know, just already feeling like I'm settled in, um, and also through um, through through networks, right? I um, met um, a professor. Her name is uh, Rita uh, Urquiz Urquiz Ruiz, and she, um, you know, was a mentor when I was out there in Texas. And I was talking to her, and I was like, you know what? I'm feeling like like I'm not I'm not settling in, and feeling like like my body like my cuerpo no se sentía presente, right? Like I felt like my body was here, but like my spirit was somewhere else. And she was like, because it is right. Your spirit hasn't like come come with you yet, right? Like your body is here, but like your spirit and your mind and like your soul is maybe like still trying to settle in. And I was like, dang, that's like, like, that's exactly right. Like I feel present, but I don't feel spiritually like present in Austin, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it definitely was a big adjustment because I feel like I just had to give myself that space to really transition over, like fully transition over. Um, And once I started the semester and once I kind of, um, I remember I even like saw a therapist for a little bit and talked to to the therapist about it, I was able to kind of get myself settled, you know, get my sleeping pattern back and feel much more comfortable being in Austin. But definitely that first week and even that first month was kind of tough um, because you're in a new space, right? Like a new culture and, you know, you kind of have to start from scratch again. Um, I was very, very fortunate to meet a lot of really dope people at UT Austin um that I still talk to today and they're still part of my community so it was a rough transition for sure but the fact that I found community so quickly and the fact that I, I built that community that sustained me throughout my whole time there definitely made the, the transition and the journey um you know just that much that much better but yeah I remember that first week I was just like what's going on like I don't feel I don't feel right like did I make the right decision right like I'm out here it was just me and my partner wouldn't have any family out there in Texas like I had a deal somewhere in like Dallas and I was like, I don't know this man. <laughs> My mom was like, go, go talk to him, go meet him. And I was like, I, I don't know. So yeah, so it was definitely something um, inexperienced, but, but I'm glad to have made it through and, you know, kind of to, to have, you know, been there for, for so long.
0: And you can also say like, I, you moved to a whole new like state. And I think the thing that we least here when you're arm relocating it, it even if it's like a small relocation, but it's like when you're moving to an entirely new state, uh, when you're so used to, I think especially for organizers and just kind of assuming the kind of level of involvement you were on campus because of organizing just requires so much of you knowing not only people, but the dynamics, the power dynamics, the history, um, and being able to quickly like, If anything, you know, goes down, you like have an idea of where to go and who to talk to. Mm -hmm. And it's so entirely, you know, comforting when you have like a place where, you know, like, oh, I have a favorite, you know, grocery stop, a food place. Um, I can go and hang out with friends and all that stuff too, like entirely. Although it's a very nice experience going to a whole new place. It's super overwhelming the amount of transitions and things that you're used to. You're now having to double check and look for, like, wait, what is the place to go, and who to meet with, it's just a lot of new transitions, especially when you're so used to, and being comforted by what you're, where you're used to, and what you know,
3: mm-hmm. it's entirely
0: new places, so. Um.
3: Yeah, I remember, I was also, like, super emotional, I think, like, a couple months before I left, and, like, I was talking to my parents about it, and they were, like, you know, like, it's, it's what we have to do, right, and, you know, they were talking about how, like, we, we left for right, our home, and, and they went out and, you know, kind of started their own life. And I mean, of course, you know, moving to grad school is not the same as migrating to a new country, right? But it's the, the movement, right? And the idea that you are in a new place, that's a similar feeling. So my parents were also really reassuring in that, you know, you're leaving your house and you're leaving your, your community, but, you know, you're doing it for a good reason, right? You're doing it to go get your education and to hopefully build new networks and, and be out there and, so my family was also very just supportive throughout the whole process, which also made it just much easier to kind of feel settled and feel integrated. So, so shout out to my family for just being awesome and um, and just always just, yeah, just being able to kind of give me that reassurance and that consuelo of just, you know, you're going to leave, but you're going to be okay.
2: Yeah, that's like a really great way to, to put the whole like family support, right? Like even though you're far, but or away from them, but you're still close, right? Like there's mediums to stay connected and to be reminded why you're doing what you're doing. And mm-hmm. like that definitely helps, at least for me, it helped push me forward, you know, like in those challenging times when mm-hmm. things get hard in, in school.
0: And it's yeah. that, that it's not anything, um, you know, Fuera del Mundo mm-hmm. or anything that it's like, no one has ever done before, especially for our family who who are immigrants them understanding like that's another way of you connecting because it is Mm -hmm. such a big uproot that you just did you know your your connections you just basically like left from this pond and moved to another pond right it's entirely new in that it's normal to have that transition but I think when you're so used to knowing so many people and being able to just say like hey I want to go do things and feel comfortable with that that there is going to be a period of transition where it's going to feel weird it's going to feel lonely it's going to be strange and you feel a little bit unsettled like but knowing the comfort of like you will always find your community wherever you go because there's a lot of people who still do this work it's going to look a lot different for sure because it's space-wise is going to be different but um, you can always find community wherever you go and it's just it takes a while to find your people and wherever you go uh, and to know who to go to for the university it, i mean it took me when i was in my master's a whole year to feel like okay now i really feel connected and i feel like i can have my go-to people and my system of support on and off campus where i know where to go
3: mm-hmm. yeah i it was it's funny that you mentioned like building community because there was like so many people from california at ut austin and like those are the folks, and like of course we gravitated together, right? Like all of like the Kelly people over here, like knowing each other. Um, so shout out to the Kelly folks, y'all know who you are. Um, and also the folks that I met, like I've met people from New Mexico, I mean people from you know, um, Wisconsin and people from there from Texas, right? So so yeah, I think just building that network and like you find each other too, like you find your people. And that's what always amazes me, how you're just able to find the folks that you connect with and you just make community with. Um and yeah, I remember just like that's something that also happened organically. <laughs> like um, it was by taking classes together, or by you know being in the same program, or going to similar events. And yeah, like buscas a tu gente, las encuentras, and you just you just make that community. So I'm, I'm always amazed how that happens. Just something outside of us just connects us, and and I think that's really beautiful.
2: Yeah, that's very true. Cause uh, when I was in Boston, um, a lot of the people in my program were from LA. Mm-hmm. And so we struggled with the cold and the snow and you know, like the distance, the lack of good Mexican, food at
3: least you didn't have that. So <laughs> let me that. tell you about Texas, not trying to hate on Texas. <laughs> but yeah. Tell us. Um, it's just different. Like, yeah. I mean, that's the thing too. It's like you just you go to a new culture and of course I'm over here with like the idea of like California Mexican food so going over to Texas and you know looking at Tex-Mex um you know it was just like that's also something to get used to right and um you know I'm not trying to hate but that's just that was my journey my experience something to get used to so I recognize that that's just because of my upbringing and you know what I was I was kind of used to and it's so true that we don't eat queso fundito
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to you and I'm like, yeah, that's not we don't typically mm-hmm. melt our cheese. If we have queso or cheese, it's like desmoronado, like right, uh, queso fresco. Queso like like right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. We don't <laughs> do queso fundido and then dip our chips. <laughs> right. But I'll focus on queso. <laughs> I, was
2: saying, I was like I
3: got there and I was like what is this but now I'm like queso like hell yeah I have some queso with chips like have you been to you know the the, the places that offer you queso like it's good it's popping um but yeah so that's what I'm saying I'm just like I got there and I was just like what is this but now I'm just like yeah I'll, I'll try it out I'll do that
0: and then you end up like you know judging the smallest little things you're just like okay we're being like super petty Uh, and also it's like interesting because again Californians in general like especially when it comes to grad programs there's like a selective like areas where you know you'll end up finding each other Mm -hmm. so the fact that like you found a ton of like Californians in Texas particularly in your grad program is like even interesting how that Mm -hmm. all happens because there's like a pipeline of like Right. certain people because of your mentors who are taking students to other areas because of the funding the grants the program the yeah. you know mentorship or whatever the case but even like within like each other right because we're from like different states of mexico where are like well your state does this and my state mm-hmm. does that or just family preferences too like how many of us like even compare each other's like well you do your you know quesadillas this way and you know the controversy of quesadillas in queso and stuff
2: like that i eat black beans pinto beans and the mm-hmm. way that they're prepared it's different
3: yeah for sure like do you want them refried do you want you know de la olla like all that stuff
0: And so the things that we find familiar or comfort in is like entirely destroyed, (laughs) depending on like what you're what you have access to. And whenever you go to a restaurant, it's going to be an entirely different experience. But that's like super interesting, like in terms of like both you, Ariana and Denise, like thinking about moving in entirely different like states and like how much the weather hugely impacts like. Our well being
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, and our level of like, okay, like how can you function? And you end up finding out like certain things kind of like make you happy or not. And personally, for me, in my grad program, I went from Bay Area to like Central Valley. And even that, the whole like heat and just like looking around the streets, like it makes you depressed, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. because you're just like, it, it's so interesting because I had a lot of students uh, when I was in uh, Sonoma that came from LA to mm-hmm. Sonoma, and they weren't used to the cold, foggy Bay Area coldness in the morning, and that got them sad, and then for me, in the Central Valley, was the heat, the 100, mm-hmm. too sunny, no mountains, I was, like, no pretty, clouds. Like, all, mm-hmm. yeah, like, it was, like, yeah. so sad, it's just, like, a big me. open
3: field, yeah, your
0: lungs cooking, you know, like, because oh my of God. the heat, <laughs> And the humidity in in Texas, right? Oh,
3: my God, yes. I remember, like, the first few weeks, I could not stop sweating. I walked, like, I don't know, 20 feet or something, and I was just sweating already. And I was like, how is this possible? Like, like I need to survive somehow. Like, I can't. Um, But I also got there, like, in the summer, right? So I got there, like, at the end of August, which is um, one of, like, the hottest months. And also, I got there when Hurricane Harvey, I think, hit, like, a couple of weeks after I got there. Um, so that was also something like new, right? It's like that now you're talking about the weather, right? Something so, you know, mundane, but it's like it makes a difference, right? So like in Austin, like Namas Cayo, Nahuacero, you know, um, but luckily we didn't get any damage. But then also seeing like other communities, right, in Houston and, and Galveston and Corpus Christi, like those communities and, you know, people mobilizing. So that was also really beautiful to see that community you know, even in Texas and like kind of, you know, these, these working class communities still helped each other out. So I, I was happy to see that element there, right, that I knew from California and just from just people supporting each other. Um, but yeah, for sure, I was sweating like those first few weeks and just kind of getting my body used to the heat. Um, I will say, I, I miss the thunderstorms. I am I weirdly like thunderstorms and like the sound and just the power of them. So so I'll miss those. And those were, there were a bunch of those in, in Austin all the time um but yeah so so I'm happy to be back in California like here in San Jose it doesn't go past 90 I don't sweat as much as I used to (laughs) so I'm I'm also happy to be back to again the weather that I grew up with and I I kind of know what brought you back to California um your family that's a a, yeah that's a good question yes so um I so I graduated with my master's in 2019 um and then a couple months later, I started working as an academic advisor. So then my partner and I, so we're both from California and he moved out here. Well, he moved out there to Texas with me. Um, so after I finished my master's, we were kind of like, well, what do we do? Right. Like I'm done with my master's technically, like, this is what I came out here for kind of what are the next moves. Right. And we decided to kind of give it another year, you know, cause he had just started working too. And he had just gotten a promotion and, you know, it was, like, I wasn't also, I wasn't going to be like, okay, I'm done with mine stuff. Like, let's go back home, right? Like, he also had his stuff to kind of progress with. And, you know, I didn't want to disturb that. So we stayed for another year. And then 2020, you know, when, when the pandemic hit, it was just through everything in limbo. Like, we were kind of looking back to go back in 2020. But again, with COVID and, and traveling and, like, how are you going to settle during a pandemic? That just kind of put a lot of stuff on hold. So 2020 kind of went by at the end of it um that's when we were kind of just like we should move back right like things are looking a little bit better um you know it kind of seemed like the right time um for him you know he was also missing home and i was missing home too so he was the one that definitely prompted the conversation of like hey you know let's move back and and settle in san jose because he's originally from san jose um so you know it was a lot of motivation of taking the next step, you know, with us in in our relationship and just saying like, okay, you know, we're going to move back to California. Um, But also, you know, being close to family, the fact that, um, you know, I had finished my master's, we had been out there for like two more years after that. So definitely felt like the right time to move back. We felt like, you know, we were in Austin, and we kind of did what we had to do and, you know, got the experiences that we were looking for. And and yeah, it was a good time to move back. Um, And, you know, it's, it's always, go back to the same thing, right? Like when you you go back to what you know, right? You go back to something familiar. So that definitely was a feeling for both of us. Um, for him, more than with me, with me, I was kind of like, it took me a little bit more convincing just because I had just gotten also a promotion at my job. And I was like, well, how am I going to just be at that job for, you know, a couple months? Like I just got this promotion. How am I going to tell them that I'm, I'm leaving back to California? But they're very flexible. And I'm just super lucky to have worked with that team um, they were pretty understanding. And because they were understanding, that made me feel so much more better about the decision. So when even when I moved back to California, I was still working remotely for them for a couple months. So again, that definitely made things a lot easier. But yeah, that was one of the main kind of reasons is just moving back to, to California and being back here and, you know, kind of just settling in with with family and just building ourselves back into the community that we came from.
2: That's awesome.
3: That's awesome. And would you say
2: that you liked your program? but do you did you like what you learned and how it was
3: formed so the program i think has a lot of good elements so it was i think i was the fourth or fifth master's cohort and in my core cohort, cohort there were only four people so um it was a pretty small cohort and i remember learning that that was not the norm like most grad cohorts have 20 people or 15 people right so I was like, okay, like it, it's small, right? So it, it led to more kind of like getting to know your cohort members. So I did like that aspect that we were small. So I think a lot of times we could get more attention or more face time with faculty and you know resources in that way. The program itself, I think, you know, they have a lot of really good faculty there. Um, I did enjoy a lot of the classes. Um, I took a lot of classes in Black Studies, in um, Latin American Studies, like uh, the Lila's program, um, in Education. So the fact that they were definitely very interdisciplinary I definitely did like that because that's something that I appreciate right and I think comes from ethnic studies the fact that it's interdisciplinary right you you study multiple different topics at the same time and you kind of bridge them together Um, I was also very lucky to get a lot of funding so the program was new but also you know they had the funding and it was only four of us because again they wanted to fully fund all of us so I think that intentional decision definitely made a difference and and that's definitely one of the reasons, but I went out to UT often, right? Like, it's like, they're willing to invest this money in me. They're willing to invest this time and this effort. So that's, you know, a, a space that I can um, hopefully go and kind of grow from. Um, and yeah, like I was a TA through through the program as well. And that gave me a good experience. Um, and I think just the way that that they engage with other students, you know, it's it, it kind of just depends on what the student is looking for and kind of a community, but I did meet a lot of dope professors and again, having those connections back to, to your own community was really important. So the program overall um, was was good. I think what I think of the most is just my experience as a grad student in general, right? Like these structural ideas of what a grad program is, you know, taking classes, doing papers, like the thesis, man, the th- like that year I was doing the thesis, I was like, tested in so many ways that I did not could be tested. So I think my bigger kind of thing that I reflect on is just grad school as a structure, right? As like, what are the norms that exist in grad school? Like, what is this performativity that you see in the seminars, right? This performativity that you see during office hours, um, this idea that, you know, you should be grateful to be there. It's like, no, you should be grateful to have me, right? Like, like I'm a good student. I'm, I'm like bringing all this good info and this knowledge. So I think that's what I reflect on the most, right? And yeah, like, I just, I feel like I was in the belly of the beast being in the R1 institution, like UT Austin, um, being in such a elite institution really kind of makes you think of just like, I never imagined myself here. Like like I mentioned, you know, like my education was all through like state schools and things like that. And, and yeah, being at UT Austin, I feel like definitely made me recognize the difference in and yeah and just what you have to kind of develop the skills right you have to kind of develop this tenacity and develop this kind of um outer shell to to not get fucked over in a way and because grad school like they're going to take your energy right and you have to protect yourself and you know grad school and the institution in general is going to take what they need from you and you just have to know again how to protect your energy how to protect yourself how to protect your time and Make sure that you're also taking what you need from the institution, right? Like, <laughs> like you can't just be in this extractive relationship. Um, so yeah, so that's thinking about about grad school and things like that. I feel like that's the biggest things that come to mind. Um, but then also knowing that there's a lot of students that feel the same way, and y'all can come together and and resist together and build community and understand that we're in this system and we're part of it, but we're also on the outside of it, right? And you know, you're on the margins and, and what does that do? Like that paradox of, well, I'm a grad student and, you know, I'm getting funded at the institution, but then also fuck these institutions and fuck colonialism and fuck all these things, right? So, so always having those conversations. So I appreciate the homies that let me just kind of vent and, and you know, be a contradiction. So that's always really good <laughs> to kind of process and, and deal with the emotions that come through being a grad student and just going through the whole motions of that.
0: And it's so interesting how, like, much of the like the skills that you learn in organizing, especially from like just union organizing in general, it has been um, such a great asset in terms of like knowing like how to look at policy, look at the, your rights as a student, like what are some things that could be clear? What are some things that, you know, the institution could support you that they always forget? Because especially at an R1 institution and just for a for our listeners because we have a lot of California listeners Mm -hmm. like in terms of context of what UT Austin is is basically the Berkeley of Texas the Mm -hmm. UC Berkeley of Texas so in terms of like R1 institutions um it's based off mostly research so research is a big emphasis in these institutions and so uh where you have like big lecture halls so like the things that people think colleges, like this is where a lot of these like projections of ideas of what a college student is, what a grad student is, who's supposed to be a researcher, like it's all, as you mentioned, performed even more so than what others, um, because most of the students that like I meet with are community college students or Mm -hmm. students from the the California State University system. So basically the less selective, less unquote prestigious universities, which is a lot different. And I feel like the camaraderie even within staff or uh, student employees, like it's just such a different dynamic. Um, And it's really interesting that you mentioned in terms of like even faculty or like the exploitation, because I found this um, tweet from at Steve Salaita. Dear college students, a lot of well-known professors are toxic and or exploitative a lot. Being educated, influential, or accomplished doesn't necessarily make anyone a good person. The opposite is often true. Don't override your instinct when it tells you to be wary. I think that's the biggest lesson and takeaway that I even took from like, not only seeing the behind the scenes of how higher ed institutions work, but also like going into graduate school and like Mm -hmm. finding out that my instincts of being able to tell when things don't feel right were key Mm -hmm. knowing how to navigate those like tricky political like heavily political like lines Mm -hmm. that whenever you go into a program you unless you have previously contacted or been in contact with departments whoever's involved if you're coming in kind of like in your case you were completely you know not in even Texas in general and coming into a whole new department you didn't even know the history of like what you have to navigate Mm -hmm. in those systems and figure out who's there your friend or who's there to exploit you
3: yeah and that's the thing about being first generation right it's like you don't have like a clear example of what that is like um and i'm definitely one of the first people in my family to have left california in this way right so i was the first like mujer in my family to leave you know for grad school and go to another state and kind of just do these things um, I, did, I do have another cousin who also relocated, so I feel like he was also a source of support. Um, he's right now in, in New York, um, so shout out to him for being a trailblazer with me, um, but yeah, so it's like, you don't, right, you don't have those examples, and, and yeah, there was a lot of times where I was just like, fuck, like, what did I do? Like, I came out here, and you know, I'm, I'm fucking stressed, and I can't sleep, and my emotions are going up and down, and my mental health, and todo esto, right, so you definitely just sit there and you have to constantly remind yourself like why you're here right why you're putting yourself through this and and also what you're going to refuse right because that's the thing with me it's like I I also didn't want to kind of enthrall myself fully into you know being like the kind of like I don't know like I guess I would say like abiding by like the normatives of grad school right? Like, so I resisted in the ways that I could and and I don't know, and I feel like that also preserved my sanity because if I was really out here, you know, trying to, you know, kind of warm up to all the professors that could and make all the connections that could, like I would have been exhausted, right? So I definitely am very grateful to the professors that were there to generally support students because like you said, there's some professors that are there and it's an R1 institution and they're there to do the research and they could really care less about pedagogy, right? They could really care less about engaging with the students and that's definitely something you encounter. And when you encounter that for professors that are out here, you know, talking about like, the community and, you know, doing research on marginal populations, but they themselves are perpetrators of that abuse and of that marginality, like, se explota la mente, right, like, damn, like, this is what the institution produces, right, um, but also knowing that there's those badass faculty, so it definitely is how do you navigate higher education, right, like, how do you know who you can trust and you can talk to, because it's also about vulnerability, like, you can be vulnerable to somebody, and then the next day they're going to come back here and I don't know, steal your, like, research idea or steal your data, right? So, you hear horror stories of just people getting fucked over by professors and by their fellow peers, and, like, you definitely see that, and it makes you kind of just lose a little bit of, of sense of, like, fog, like, this is really intense, and I think that's that's why I look back, and I, I, I'm I just like, dang, like, you did that shit, like, you navigated something you didn't know and an institution that was, like, super foreign to you, and it's like you're doing that while at the same time trying to be successful in your career and trying to be successful in your courses. So it was a very heavy time when I think about it, but also just really great because again, I met all these really great people. I was able to, you know, uh, travel abroad. I went to Mexico City and that was definitely a highlight of my program. Um, So it's just like, for me, I feel like it's such a paradox thinking about my experience and thinking about kind of what I went through. um, And then how do you balance out the good experiences? with the bad experiences I mean the good experiences with the bad experiences so so yeah it's definitely uh, a lot and then you just like process all of that when you're done (laughs) it's like you finish your grad program and you're just like okay I just went through that like I just did that shit like I just wrote this thesis it was like over 100 pages and I did this and I did that and like now what do I do right like I just sit and process and think about you know what what the fuck that was (laughs) because sometimes you don't even know (laughs) like sometimes I'm just like oh my god like here we go again like I gotta fucking like, right and, yeah. You force yourself to do things, yeah, that that are, like,
0: so new to you on top Mm -hmm. of, like, already, like, having to relocate at a new place um, and just, like, figure out that, like, you did all of that, like, al cien, like, you have to, Mm -hmm. like, be on a thousand in terms of the level of energy to put all of these things together. And I think that's the thing that stuck with me is not only are we doing this as a first in terms of our family members, of going into a graduate program and further being like a, uh, cause the first time we went to undergrad, we were trying to start our professional careers, right? This is a jumpstart of like getting some things under our belts to figure out and choose what we wanted to do. But graduate school is even a bigger choice that we made where you're like, not only am I gonna do this the first time, I'm gonna continue and try to further specialize. And the thing that, um, Stuck with me what you said was uh, trying to excel at your own profession while, on top of that, doing academic stuff mm-hmm. uh, like papers, thesis, um, conferences, ATSA, conferences, networking. publishing yep. Yep. any yep. of those things. Mm-hmm. So, like, now that we've bumped into each other, in terms of I was <laughs> in the hiring committee and you were one of the interviewees or a candidate. It's just so interesting because it's like so hard for us to, especially for those who majored in ethnic studies, have done organizing, have done even with like thinking about the things that we refuse to do. Like I refused a lot of things that I was just like, this is not a good investment of my time. It doesn't align with my values. I don't particularly endorse this person, organization, candidate process, whatever it right. is. Um And then going into a hiring committee that may or may not understand or see a value of those skills, even though those are exactly the skills that we need. So how has been that experience of like uh, trying to um, market it, kind of like market yourself or like even with job talks of like being in an empowered position as opposed to like having people, because I feel like whenever you interview or even talk, you're like, I know how to do these things, bam, bam, bam. Like you're very like proactive about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's even, that's a hard skill of itself to like gain and feel comfortable when you've been faced so much and consistently as first-gen students, the unknown and not even knowing how to navigate mm-hmm. the space.
3: Yeah. Um, no, I like right now in my memory that popped up was, I remember, um, so I was in my last year of the program and we had to do like a preliminary like thesis presentation of like what your topic was and you know kind of what you're going to be doing your methods and you know what I mean Um, and I remember going on just like dang I don't have a concrete topic like I don't have a scope I don't have methodology I can't even understand what methodology was but I went there and I was like you know what what I have I'm gonna make it sound so good that people are gonna like we like you have a whole project already and that's what I did right it's like having that confidence in yourself to know that you don't have it all figured out but what you do have figured out like you know your shit right so um one of my friends she even was just like that girl you gave us the proposal you gave us like your methods everything she's like your project was done and I was like I wasn't even close to start it <laughs> so that's just the memory that popped up in my head it's just like you have to still instill this confidence in yourself because, you know, going back to grad school, it was like, there was a lot of moments where I didn't have the confidence in myself, right? Like when I was writing, I was like, I'm not writing in this academic voice, right? So I had to like adapt myself to that. And and how do you keep your authenticity? That's something that, that I battle with all the time, keeping your authenticity, but still entering in these professional realms and, you know, entering into these kind of spaces and where, you know, you might have to like adapt to some type of norm or adapt to some type of culture, right? So um, I think different thing in grad school, in a lot of ways, does prepare you for professionalism, right? Because you have to know how to ta- how to address an audience, right? So when you're giving um, your your conference, right, and you're reading your paper, like who's your audience? So and those writing skills too, like how are you gonna write, you know, um, kind of to to speak to certain people or to get your point across? So when I'm writing my cover letters or my resume, that's what I'm kind of referring back to. It's like how do I employ the writing skills that I got from my undergrad and my grad school into like molding them into the professional realm, right? And and also knowing what the differences are, right? I'm not going to write a whole cover letter that has like all these big words and all these like theoretical concepts because that's not what it's about. So so yeah, it's definitely knowing like the skills that you have and how do you tailor them to serve you in the professional realm, right? So um, when I think about, you know, interviewing, it's like I, I really kind of just sit and think about all the things that I've done because I've had to do that before, right? When I'm writing stuff for scholarships and when I'm writing stuff for, Um, you know different programs or when I was writing my statement of purpose like that's what you have to do you have to really like know your story and know yourself and and knowing my story was also something that came from organizing right because when you talk to people it's like you you tell them about yourself and you tell them your story and you tell them like what your motivation is to be organizing and what your motivation is to be making that connection so so yeah in the professional realm you know it's all about making connections it's all about networking and being personable with people right so and when I go into an interview, I definitely want to make sure that it's more of a conversation that we're having. Like, it's not just me answering questions from a panel. It's me answering questions, but also asking questions and making sure that I'm leaving enough room to kind of have folks pick up on maybe something that I said, or maybe, you know, probe a little bit more about my skills and, and what's on my cover letter, what's on my resume. So there's definitely a lot of overlaps that I try to employ. Like I mentioned, like the writing skills something really big, right? I remember like. Sometimes you just had to turn around like that term paper. You had to turn around like that proposal. And when you apply for jobs, like that job got posted 10 days ago. It's about to close in two days. What are you going to do? You're going to write that cover letter. and You're going to write your resume, right? And maybe take some things that you took from your CV, put it on your resume. Uh, maybe some things that you took for a bio, for a conference, turn that into, you know, something for your cover letter. So there's always ways to kind of just overlap the two. And that's definitely something that I um feeling pretty good at doing because, you know, you just had to do it throughout grad school, throughout your undergrad, at least for me. Um, so, yeah. So, so thank you for the feedback, Patricia. Um, I always feel really nervous, like trying to, to talk to other people, but then again, you just, I had to remind myself that you've been here before, right? Like you've said these things before, like you have these skills and, you know, you, you just, you just got to go with what you know, and you got to have that confidence in yourself. Um, even when you feel like, you know, you, you might not be super prepared for it.
0: I think that's a, that's a big takeaway is that um, harness this, the big strengths that you do have, because any job is not going to make you force you or even graduate school is going to force you to know everything, but you have to know your, your own shit that you're going to be an expert at. You have to be really good at it Mm -hmm. and understand that even within your own life experiences is bringing it into the space. Like you are the expert and the thesis pushed me so like throw me off the cliff and it was like, Hey, <laughs> figure it out and learn how to fly right now, you know, mm-hmm, like, yeah. and be good at it, you know? And I think those are the skills that if you turn it around into a positive of like, what can I take away from this experience, you know, filtering out the negative ones. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, you, you do go through a whole rollercoaster of emotions uh, through graduate school is figuring out like in your writing, what are you trying to get out? How can I convey my message? How can I be better at my communication? How can I uh, change the system because I think that's what changed my perspective and a lot of these professional things that I was like, I don't know how to do. Like people didn't te- like my parents didn't teach me this. Like higher ed in general doesn't go out of its way to make it make sense for me based on what my lived experience have been and my access to information. So what changed my perspective was thinking about all of these things. As well, they've already been created by someone. Someone put together these systems. So any of these things you can create yourself too. So -hmm. nothing is like forever held in stone. And admin are always changing initiatives. So why can't I be the one to influence a lot of the stuff if it's been working really well for me? Mm -hmm. So whenever it is an interview, if it doesn't feel right to me, how can I make it feel that way and uh, you know own up the space? Like take up the space, own it up and make it my own where it does feel genuine, it does also convey a message, and it also is in some lens, you know, following some sort of line of professionalism right? where it doesn't feel fake. Um, so it's been mm. really helpful, like, as you mentioned, like putting all these skills that we've gained in organizing an undergrad uh, to now put it in professional. So how has it been now in your position in terms of now that you're in a new institution and then this is a private university?
3: Yeah. Um- it's been really good. I started early September, like the second week of September. Um, So it's been about three weeks now, or like two and a half weeks. Um, But it's been really good. My team, um, they're super supportive. And I think we all have the general same philosophy of how to advise students and how to communicate with students and making sure that we're not also perpetuating like these problematic institutional policies, right? Like we want to be a source of, of comfort for the students, right? We want them to see that our space and our program and what we do is student-centered. And like, yes, we're part of the institution, we're part of Stanford, but you know we realize that at the heart of who we are are the students, because they're the ones that use our space. And um, our academic program, we have a minor, the human rights minor. So the students that, that want to declare the human rights minor, they're already coming in with this notion, this interest right of human rights, of social justice, of um, problem solving through inequalities of kind of having those conversations, which I think makes it really, makes a really rich environment and really great. Um, So I, I've started, you know, advising students and shadowing the person who also advises students in our office. And yeah, a lot of students just, that's the thing too. It's like, I feel like young people and like college students don't get the credit that they're, they're creative. Like they're so, they're geniuses, right? Like they, they just need that guidance, right? Their ideas are already there and the passion is already there. They just need somebody to guide them. and to kind of, you know, be be alongside to, to empower them to take that agency over their education. Um, so that's what I always try to do with students, even when I was an advisor at UT Austin, you know, kind of subverting some of those prescriptive advisings and, you know, kind of just very static policies on their head and just say, you know, I am here to kind of help you navigate the institution because I know what it's like to not have somebody help me, right? Like, I know what it's like to feel super lost and I feel like I'm doing everything wrong, and and I always try to be empathetic with the students and, and be relatable in that way and humanize them, humanize myself because, again, these institutions dehumanize us sometimes. Where it's like, where are you going to find, you know, that that genuine kind of like somebody that cares about you and somebody that wants to see you succeed. Um, so that's that's kind of what um, I bring to the table. And again, I'm I'm happy to be part of a team that that believes that and you know is able to kind of um, like say yes like definitely that's that's a way to to advise students that's a way to talk to students and create that open environment and just from the conversations I've had with my coworkers, you know it's like I mentioned you know all of us are kind of on the same boat of you know we're going to do what we can for our students and we're going to help them and you know we're part of this institution but we're also going to use institution to our advantage and you know make sure that that what we offer to the students is genuine and it's supportive and yeah you get that feedback from students like I just came in, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, but already like the students are just like, yes, like this space helped me, you know, through my time here at Stanford, or like I would have felt lonely without, you know, the help of, of the program or the help of the staff. And hearing that, I'm just like, okay, like I'm in a good space, right? Like I'm in a space that isn't gonna be, you know, extractive of students that isn't gonna kind of not show them the full support that they need. Um, so when the students are happy with the program, when they're coming to you and saying like this program, changed my perspective of social justice like I took that one class and now I'm here and now I'm a minor and I'm involved in the program like that's always really great to hear and it definitely makes me feel good about being in the program and, and working with them and also just excited like I'm just like dang hey, like, these are the students I get to work with like the students are passionate and they take initiative and they're out here you know wanting to solve society's problems and go abroad and look at you know inequalities and labor and, and, and you know just abroad and domestically I was like, damn, y'all are doing much more than I was doing as an undergrad. So it's always good to be like, yes, like I'm living vicariously through you and you're going to go off and do these amazing things and I'm going to be right there with you. So so those are really good. Um, And, you know, I just hope to also continue building community with other people that feel the same way. Um, So hopefully, you know, it's not just like us, right? It's other people that we can rely on and we can kind of see as people that can also kind of just help us and and really care about student success.
2: Yeah, that, that's definitely, all the points that you made, I think, are very important when uh, working with students. I think that was, I resonated with a lot of the things that you said as an advisor. Uh, I had been an advisor previously, so, um, and I think, you know, that as we, we hold such a like a pivotal role for the students because they're seeking help. They're seeking resources, guidance, mm-hmm. as much as they're like on it, they also don't know how, what goes on behind the scenes. At
3: right.
2: So um, I think it's very powerful and such a privilege to be able to like be that support system for them, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and be able to relate to them, which is what makes them come back. I think yeah Um, but what would you say is your um takeaway so far from your experience and what is something that you would like to like leave our listeners with about something like about your professional experience your educational experience like uh maybe like some sort of message
3: definitely um like know that you like know your shit you know what I mean like those of us that are in academia right now that are getting our bachelors or masters or PhDs, like we're there for a reason. You know, we um, are there, yes, to get the education, but also because like we're meant, like, you know, we deserve to be there, right? Like, and that's the thing that I feel like is very like easy to lose, like that confidence in yourself because you have imposter syndrome and you have like all these things that are telling you like you're not writing well enough or like with me, right? Like you're not, speaking well enough or like you know the way that you carry yourself or is like a little too much or whatever right all these things that have been said and just you deal with so I think always just like man being like so sure of yourself which is easier said than done because I definitely have my days where I'm just like oh my god I just I don't know if I can do this and I'm just questioning myself but then I also have the days where I'm just like no I'm a fucking badass chingona <laughs> like I got this shit right so um that's the biggest thing right like just always know that you're there for a reason and you deserve to be there wherever you are whatever job you're at you know like they hired you because you know your shit and because you're going to be a good asset to the team and you know they're excited to have you um and also finding people that are going to cultivate that in you right like you can know that for yourself but when you find people that are able to validate you and are able to say like yeah you killed that shit right like your presentation was so dope or you know you like, did really well in your thesis, like, you know, I'm gonna tell my friends about it, and I mean, I'm gonna, like, you know, um, kind of put you put you on blast, like, I'm gonna share, you know, the the paper you just got published in, and you just got your PhD, like, let's celebrate, right, so surrounding yourself with a community that is going to celebrate you, and also allow you to celebrate them, right, because you're also celebrating each other, um, so I feel like that's a really big thing that helped me, and then that I hope for others to find people that are gonna validate their experience and also just help them navigate any tough situation. Um, because community is so important, like without it, man. I yeah, I don't know how I would have gone through my my grad program. Um, but I feel like that's the biggest takeaway, right? Like knowing that we got this, that knowing that that like, we just gotta look in ourselves and just find that that power that kind of keeps us going. And and yeah, I hope that didn't sound too cliche, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's my advice to the listeners. Yeah.
0: That's also important to like um, be comfortable with like knowing that you're going to have a lot of great offers like, mm-hmm. and that you're going to turn down. And it's kind of sad because it's like, as you mentioned even earlier, just as a full circle moment is that you mentioned how sad and how like guilty you felt about having to tell your team right when you got the promotion that you're going to leave. But I think That's exactly where we want to move towards is having Mm -hmm. such great offers, great opportunities, and that you get to choose from a lot of options as opposed to what we normally were used to in our younger years. And Mm -hmm. what we've seen other friends and colleagues go through is like this whole scarcity option where we're always having to, you know, make some sacrifices or pick the job that we don't really want, but it's the thing that we need to do. Um, Or that you have two shitty options. Like, I just don't want (laughs) us to be like, pick your poison kind of option. It's like, why can't we just always have really great options and leave always on a good note Mm -hmm. and know that, you know, anywhere you go, you're going to go towards even bigger and better in terms of what, whatever you need in that stage. Cause I think that's the part where I don't see myself staying in an institution for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm very comfortable with change too, like knowing that, you know, I can just move and go somewhere else just because I've also felt this, like how companies and organizations do is that they keep you for so long and to the point that if there was a layoff or anything, you are you just know that system, that it would be super difficult to learn a whole something new. So it's like constantly growing and learning in terms of whatever that means for you. Um, it's just so refreshing because I think that's the thing that I've been really enjoying is seeing more advisors become way more genuine
3: mm-hmm. in terms
0: of the relationship building that we're building with our students. And just know that I don't want to put holds anymore or negative things or have this negative connotation or experience that students feel like advisors in higher ed are going to be the same thing as what they've experienced before. Right. Um, and that, that old school, how you mentioned prescription, cutthroat, mm-hmm. very like you know stale kind of
3: yeah like these are your requirements (laughs) these are your classes like go have a good day it's like no you talk to the student you get to know them like you build that rapport because you're going to talk to them again right so Mm -hmm. you got to make sure to also make the student feel welcome and yeah I totally agree with you and you know I've been really like fortunate to have you know had such a good job like outside of when I went and graduated with my master's and the team there like again they were also on the same wavelength of, of student advising and like one of my coworkers there, um, she and I like really clicked on, you know, what it does it mean to to measure student success and what does it mean to to kind of guide a student through what what they want to do with their life and, and you know, help them achieve their goals, but also remind them that, you know, it's OK to take different paths. Like I remember working at UT Austin, like it's a big institution. I think it's like 51000 students alone. So it can feel very competitive and it can feel very cutthroat, which it most definitely is. Um, like I felt that as a grad student. I can't even imagine what undergrads are feeling, fresh out of high school, fresh out of you know, their community college that they just transferred in from. So I remember I also just wanted to talk to students about like, yes, there's these big majors, like, you know, STEM and business, and that's really great, but there's also other ways you can get there, right? So be like when I was an advisor, it was to underclear students, and these students felt a lot of pressure of you know, their families and, you know, kind of society of what is a good job, right? What is like this good career, this good profession? Um, So my little kind of in like philosophy in there was like, yes, you are gonna, you know, strive and, and do well, but also like, what are you internalizing about? What is it, the job? Like, what are you internalizing about? What does success mean, right? So having those conversations with students, sometimes they're just like, like, what do you mean? <laughs> so definitely like kind of reeling them in about just like, you know, you're going to achieve your goals like, and it might look different, right? And it's not like your friend, you know, they're like doing their thing, but to you, it's different. Like you're totally different individuals. Um, and that's definitely something that I, yeah, like that's what I'm saying, like that refusal, right? Like the refusal to give in to like the of the of the university and saying like, you know, you, like, don't have to perform this, right, like, you can be authentic, and you can still achieve what you want, right, and kind of remain true to yourself, and, like, not have to, you know, fully, like, sell your soul <laughs> to the institution, um, but yeah, so that's that's definitely something um, that I, I think of, and when I think about, like, my interactions with students, and, and why I love the work that I do, it's, like, you get to have these real conversations with people, and also with with young students, right, like I mentioned, like, they don't get enough credit for how creative and how innovative and how just courageous they are for you know just going through all the bullshit and you know still coming out um you know great and even if you know they have turbulences and they have you know um kind of difficult difficult things to deal with you know like they have that resilience right like this resilient word that now is just kind of I feel like taken out of context so much um <laughs> and the yeah. fact
0: that a lot of them are like as you mentioned because this is just kind of bringing up triggering a image of like so many students like who are super um feeling doubtful of all these things and i think undeclared or even anybody who's outside of the stem and business um the students who are wanting to go in um this doubt that they have and it's just so much more important for me to pose questions of reflection as opposed to telling mm-hmm. them well yeah here's the change of major process e, you know right, the right. end. you know like go yeah, through yeah. the whole motions without being reflective about the process and being real with them about what it is to be a professional or even classes and letting them know that the classwork and the job market is going to be completely different. And does this align mm-hmm. with the values that you have? And is, the, is this the lifestyle that you want to have for right. all your life? Or can you create ways that don't feel so, again uh, capitalistic where you can still, <laughs> you know, not have to sell your soul in order to feel that you have to fit in at the end mm-hmm. of the day, feel so disposable. Right. So I think that's, uh, an amazing way of like having more advisors. And I think this has been so exciting to have more people who are, you know, advisors are working in higher ed who have these reflections, who have critical thinking, who are putting together these kind of questions and setting up students in this way where they can be more reflective and be more honest with themselves about there's no shame in picking a specific career or major if this is generally what you want to do.
3: Yeah. And I always share my experience. I'm just like, yeah, when I I started off as a communications major, because again, I was just like communications, like I could do, you know, like corporate jobs, I could do, you know, like whatever jobs, right? Like I was thinking that mentality of like the good jobs are going to be in this like, you know, broad field and, you know, I'm going to get to network and all this stuff. But once I got into those classes, like, I didn't relate to the professors, like some of the professors were super problematic, and I was like, what am I getting myself into, and then I, you know, took that ethnic studies class, and I was like, I made that decision, I was like, you know, I want to be in a major that is going to be, you know, fulfilling for me, right, that it's going to give me, like, that value that I'm looking for, and I switched to ethnic studies, and I, you know, like, I'm so happy I made that decision, because it allowed me to have, you know, these, these critical thinking skills that are so needed, right? Like people talk about like, well, what are you gonna do with an ex- ex- studies degree? So many things, like I can talk to you about, um, you know, different histories of different groups. Like I can socialize with different cultural, with different, um, you know, kind of identity groups, right? And it's not something that I have to take a training for, right, because it's built into my education and it's something that I value. And like, I always put it that way, I'm just like, I think studies, like it's something definitely everybody needs to be aware of and everybody needs to be invested in because, like that's really where you get a lot of your communication skills, right? You get your critical thinking skills, your writing skills, your research skills. Like, dang, I could go on and on with how ethnic studies is such a great discipline. And the way for me, like that it started, right? It started from community, it started from activism, it started from like generations before as like setting this foundation. So I'm happy to carry like that forward. And I'm happy to talk to students and say, you know, my journey was like this. And I was in a major that a lot of people like didn't see was useful. I was in a major that a lot of people didn't see as like marketable, right? Cause how are you going to market yourself? Ethnic studies in a corporate job, you know, that's, they don't see them as synchronous, right? They don't see them as like something that fits together. Um, but that's the beauty of it. It's like, it's, it does fit together, right? Like, you bring those skills with you. And, and that's why I, you know, chose to, to go into ethnic studies, like master's program, right? And specifically Latino studies, because again, I was just like, that's, you know, a concentration that I feel really good about the work I've been doing, and it's gonna, you know, lead to me being fulfilled and me wanting to, to go to those classes and learn about them, right? And, and wanting to like invest myself into this um, education. So for sure, like I always talk to students and just like, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do out there. And um, my, I, when I was an advisor at the Vic Center, shout out to the Vic Center, um, one of our models was major doesn't equal career, right? There's so many ways that you can get to your career, get to your profession. You think about experience, you think about things that you can do outside of your education. So I can go on and on about this, but that's just where I'll leave it for today.
2: Your passion comes through (laughs) a lot. You're passionate about what you do. That's awesome. That's what we want.
0: So thank you so much, Denise. Um, if you want to leave us with their last words, I know we would like said that we were last words, <laughs>
3: part, but now uh, you know how we're we like say doing good- the, yeah like, you know how like we closing. say goodbye. <laughs> you know we gotta say goodbye once, and then you say it again, and you say it for another five minutes, until you actually leave. So
0: <laughs> for folks that are in this position that now finished graduate school have a few years under their belt now they're not in intro level you know <laughs> positions now you're getting a little bit more responsibility right uh, what do you look forward to now in this stage
3: um, I definitely look forward to growing like leadership skills um, you know I think like I I really like advising um but I also you know like like talking with a group of students right whether that's teaching or whether that's doing workshops or doing you know uh, being part of panels so I always like engaging with students and also like a bigger scale um, so hopefully you know kind of getting more um, maybe space to to do like lectures or maybe do like trainings or workshops right for students that are looking for that um, yeah my one of my kind of goals is to like be a director of an equity center um, like I when I was an undergrad I worked for the women's resource center um, when I graduated from undergrad i worked for um the unite center at american river college shout out to y'all so equity centers right that center and identity the center on you know these kind of like marginalized students to to go back to that and to you know kind of be a leader within that i think it's also something that i look forward to so somewhere down the line you know um that that is something that i look forward to but again i'm super happy where i'm at and you know, I think you're you're right. It's like you get these opportunities and it's, it's what you make of them and it's kind of like what you bring to the table. So so yeah, so that's kind of a couple of things that are on my professional kind of horizon.
0: Sounds good. Well, ahora de veras, thank you so much Denise, <laughs> <laughs> for coming in and having such a great conversation um, and to, you know, put out there to our listeners just a little bit about a snippet of your story and your experiences and you know, hopefully some, some listeners, especially for those that are in that stage of their life, um, take away some, some good, um, knowledge, uh, that you just gave us. So thank you so much. And again, um, thank you all for our listeners. Um, until next time.
2: Yeah.
1: For all of our listeners, you can email us at codeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC business, conference, and event shoutouts and listener letters. You could also record a listener message on Anchor app, and that way we can include your recorded message in our future episodes. Follow us on Instagram at chicanacodeswitchers and on Twitter at xcodeswitchers. If you would like to support this podcast, you can Venmo or cash app us at Chicana Code Switchers and or become a Patreon contributor. Thank you and don't forget switch the code don't let the code switch you.